Whether you're stuck at the mall, in the yard, or making a quick trip to the home improvement store, we've got your back. It's gonna be May. This is the Saturday Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. In a metal mood today, Jeff? <laughs> All right, I like it. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. Uh, we are brought to you by our friends at Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping, irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. All right, uh, we are going to get to a conversation with George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, here momentarily. He was on with DJ and PK yesterday morning. Uh, really, really good conversation. Covered a lot of ground. First things first, something I failed to note earlier on on today's show, I just uh, on a humanitarian note want to express my uh, best wishes to the people of Tonga uh, down there in the South Pacific, an absolutely huge volcanic eruption, I guess it would be earlier this morning for us here along the Wasatch Front, it was like daytime for them. Crazy, crazy stuff. The satellite imagery of it, just a gigantic explosion. There are pictures of tsunamis washing ashore in Nuku'alofa, which is the capital of Tonga, uh, which is, I think, they said 65 kilometers just south, uh, excuse me, north of where this eruption took place. Crazy, crazy stuff. I've seen warnings uh, for tsunamis all around the Pacific Rim, Australia, New Zealand. Uh, my wife, who's an Orange County native, actually just texted me and said that the Orange County area, the coastal regions uh, for San Diego, et cetera, and Southern California are under tsunami warning, et cetera. So uh, thoughts and prayers and best wishes to the people down there in Tonga. Uh, just scary, scary scenes. Yeah, that's really scary. That's why we all got to take care of each other. We do, yeah. So, uh, and obviously the people of Tonga are like the really coolest people out there. Um, oh, Clint, uh, just asking me, who is that producer? Uh, Jeff, introduce yourself to Clint. Clint, that's Jeff. <laughs> My name is Jeff. <laughs> I think you've heard Jeff, Clint, I'm just saying. All right, uh, time now to hear from George Klyovkov. We're going to do this in two parts. They went uh, So DJ and PKA yesterday went for 30 minutes with George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, covered a lot of ground. And I work with David and Patrick on a day-to-day basis, and they're dear friends of mine. They, in my opinion, are the best when it comes to interviews like this. They they hit topics that people want to know about. Uh, They cover a lot of ground. They they work off each other extremely well, covering all bases. Great conversation with George Klyovkov. Let's hear part one now. We'll get to part two in our next segment. So here you go. George Klyovkov, Pac-12 commissioner with DJ and PK yesterday, right here on the Zone Sports Network. Commissioner, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks for having me on. You've done a lot of these interviews. You talked to a lot of people. You came through town and did a, uh, a tour and met with a lot of media up at the University of Utah when you're here. You've done that in other towns. So a lot of these questions go towards, you know, what's wrong with the Pac-12 and how can it be fixed and how can the reputation be upgraded? And before we get into all of that, and we will, I'm curious how much of what has gone wrong, what needs to be fixed, can be done by the Pac-12 commissioner and the conference office, and what percentage is on the schools? Because obviously, the TV contract matters, and that's not something a coach can control. But obviously, hiring good coaches, assistant coaches, and, and bringing in talented recruits is not on the conference office. So what is the, the balance here? How much of this is on your plate? 
Yeah, listen, I think it's it's probably 80-20, probably 80% of the, uh, the decisions that lead to football success uh, happen on the campus and not at the conference. But 20% is an important 20%, right? We, we have to be better about providing a better platform when we renegotiate our media rights. And, and that's related to revenue. It's related to distribution. It's related to competitive advantage, deciding who gets to play at what time of the day for, you know, for highlighting for AP voters uh, and CFP voters on the East Coast. So we, we have a lot of work to do, but uh, the, the, the larger input to football success comes on the campus for sure. Commissioner, at least publicly, there seems to be a reluctance to want to come up with a format to expand the playoff. How much of that do you think is self-serving in terms of the conferences looking out for themselves and aren't really interested in going beyond what's best for them individually? I think everybody's trying to balance what's right for themselves and their conference with what's uh, right for college athletics and college football and it's a difficult balancing act and i think you know in the past uh folks have had the opportunity to kind of work through these issues in private and you know make the kind of accommodations for each other that are required to get to a yes and i think the mistake that we made in this process was we announced in june you know the month before i started a uh, proposal that came out of a subcommittee, which were four of the 11 members that have to say yes to change the format within the current term. And it was announced the same day that the other seven got to see it for the first time. And I think in the past, what has happened is all of these really difficult discussions that have been going through the last seven months have happened privately, not in the press. (laughs) And, And then once you come to a solution, you announce it and everybody is delighted. I think we've missed that the fans' expectations back in June, but this is a process that I uh, that has happened from what I has been shared with me by the other commissioners every single time we've done this. Right, there's a negotiation. You get to the right answer. It takes time. Uh, this time we just happen to be doing it in the press, which I think is is a, is a bad idea, and I hope we don't do it again. Certainly, an expanded playoff would bring in more money. Nobody doubts that, and that alone will probably ensure that it happens one day sooner, not later. But the whole competitive aspect of college football, I don't know that that changes, and I don't know that league's reputations change. Alabama and Georgia won semifinal games in blowouts, and most of the playoff semifinals, since we went to a four-team tournament here, have been blowouts. So putting in teams 5 through 12 seems to say, well, we're going to have some more lopsided games. How will that change the Pac-12's image? Will it be... You know, if you, if you can't win those games and you're going out early or getting blown out by whoever is as good as Alabama or Georgia, it's going to be like the basketball tournament where there's some level of satisfaction in saying we were Sweet 16 or we were Elite Eight or we were Final Four. How's that going to work? Well, I, I think basketball is actually a really good analogy for why it will work uh, once you expand CFP. I think the, you know, the issue with a four-team playoff is if you were good in one of the early years of the four-team playoff, it becomes a lot easier to recruit five and four-star athletes and to get back there again. And I think you see that as kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Because the teams that were good in the early years of the CFP got uh, higher recruited players. They were able to get back. And now the vast majority of the CFP invitations have gone to four or five schools. And if we would have had a similar kind of structure in basketball, I think you would have never seen a team like Gonzaga be able to get into that mix, 
Like it was the fact that you had 64 and then 68 teams uh, in the mix for basketball that allowed kids who wanted to go to Gonzaga to say, you know, I will get to play in my championship. I may not be the top four, the top eight team, you know, on the first or second line of the NCAA tournament when I get in, but at least I'm going to be playing in the tournament. And that allowed them to, over time, build a program, which is now a top 10 program. And I think that's what happens. I think when you have more access, uh, kids are broader in how they think about where I can go to school and still participate for a national championship. And then it takes time, but that over time allows for a much more democratic spread of the talent across college football. Commissioner, that leads me right into my next question. I have to say, I must applaud you first on being willing to address the realities rather than just basically blow smoke over them. And you've been great. And I was at the Pac-12 title game and you were downstairs giving the press conference and you spoke openly about keeping kids that are growing up into the Pac-12 communities local and rather than having to go out. I, I'm, a, I'm a Phoenix kid myself, went to Arizona State, and I can recite all the kids who left. I mean, they just get nobody, basically. Keely Ringo, who makes the interception for Georgia to seal it, goes to Saguaro, which is right there in the Phoenix area, coached by a coach who has legendary ASU roots, the defensive coordinator. He and his brothers played at ASU, and nevertheless, the kid goes to Georgia. I can't blame them, but you spoke openly about how we have to fix that. Now, my thought for you is we all agree something has to be done, but what are the tangible things that can be done to prevent this from happening because so much of the talent, I just use Arizona because that's a local example. Bryce Young, who threw the pass, is from Pasadena. Obviously, California is a massive amount of talent. What can be done at the conference level and the individual level to prevent this from happening at such a widespread rate that it is? Yeah, we have, we have so much talent in our footprint. You know, the, the starting quarterbacks at the beginning of the season – at Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State and Clemson, Clemson. Um, we're, you know, and Oklahoma, we're all from our footprint, right? It, 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 yes. it, it can't happen. So, listen, there's, there's two ways to, I think, turn, turn the tide of recruiting. Well, one is by taking shortcuts, and the other is by making investments. And our, our league is not about taking shortcuts. I mean, we just don't do that. Um, so we have to focus on investments. And I think... Those investments come in many different forms, but, but but let's look at two of them, right? Facilities and coaching hires. And I think you've seen in the past couple of years, and particularly in, the, in this past couple of months, significant um, investments in our football program. So obviously, yeah, you guys are very familiar with um, the, the beautiful remodel at Rice-Eccles and all the money that was put into that to to make that the stadium it is today. You know, Oregon State pressed the button and exploded the west side of their stadium uh, last week, and they're rebuilding that with $90 million in private funds. Oregon announced in uh, October, I believe it was, uh, a 170,000-square-foot football practice facility. It'll be the greatest practice facility in the country. Um, you saw the investment in coaches, Washington State, Washington, Oregon, right, the defensive coordinator from Georgia, whose team gave up, I think it was, you know, something like 13 passing and rushing touchdowns in 15 games this year. And he's now going to be the head coach at Oregon. Obviously, Lincoln Riley at USC. I mean, there are big investments in football going on across our, our footprint. And that's what's going to get the kids to want to come. And you've already seen 
five-star kids that had previously committed elsewhere recommit to Pac-12 schools. You've seen kids that were considering other places now in the transfer portal coming back to us. And I think that's going to continue. And I think the investment by one school, I mean, USC and Lincoln Riley is a great example. I think the investment by USC and Lincoln Riley and his coaching staff will have benefits not just for USC, but for, for all of our schools. I think it, uh, you know, kind of the tide that rises all boats. Well, you can talk shortcuts and you can talk investments. Uh, when you say shortcuts, I immediately think of schools cheating and kids getting paid. And PK and I have been doing this for a long time, and we've heard specific stories about people getting 50, 75, 100 grand. And, and coaches off camera, off mic, just laying out who got what. One coach telling us a player who's now in the NBA getting 25 grand for home visits. Just to be, say you're one of the finalists, 25 grand. And they tell us in a way, think, well, this is going on. Now, name, image, and likeness brings all this above board and into the sunlight. And I don't consider name, image, and likeness a shortcut. Maybe you do, and you could expand on that. But I think the conference is going to have to expand on that. Not only a lot of, of, of possibilities for star players, but stuff that's spread all across the roster for everybody so the players who are developing stay at these schools two or three years and develop. Man, that, yeah, there's 50 ways to go with that question. Go any way you'd like. <laughs> yeah, well, listen, as a, as a conference, we're in favor of name, image, and likeness, right? It never made sense to me that if you were a music scholarship student, you could have a YouTube channel and make money off of your name, image, and likeness. But if you did that as a college athlete, you'd lose your eligibility. That just doesn't make sense. There have to be some guardrails. And the guardrails that I think everybody agrees on is that name, image, and likeness the amount you get paid has to be tied to actual work you do and the use of your name, image, and likeness. And it can't be used for inducement or pay for play, right? It can't be used as a payment to go to one school over another school or, or to play in the games. And we're seeing that happening. And it, it's so bad that you saw, you know, both Nick Saban and Kirby Smart before the national championship game in their press conferences, particularly call out what a problem and an issue this is for college football. And, uh, you know, the, the problem is that there's no national legislation. We have a patchwork of state laws that differ from state to state. The NCA has um, not done any enforcement here. And they basically said, if you comply with your state law, you won't lose your eligibility of your student athlete. And by the way, if you're in a state that has no state law, you can do anything you want in name and mention likeness and not lose your eligibility. So in some respects, it's better to be in a state that has no state law because, you know, you, you're just you can do whatever you want. And until we have federal legislation or national enforcement of no inducement and no pay for play, uh, it's the Wild West. And the stories that you've heard, I hear every day. Uh, I know it's happening. Uh, I've talked to the other A5 commissioners about how we can work together to try and solve that issue. Um, but I think we're stuck with it until we get some federal legislation or national enforcement. So are the late start times just a fact of life, given the fact of where we are in the country and we're in the West and mountain and time, a specific time zone? And can we do anything about it? Yeah, one of the, one of the greatest strengths as a conference is, uh, unlike the other Power 5 conferences, we don't have geographic competition as a power five. You know, we have all of the power five schools in the mountain and Pacific time zones. That's going to be true until BYU joins the big 12. 
Um, so that provides a unique opportunity. If you're a television network, you want to program primetime West Coast games uh, that are Power 5 games, and the Pac-12 is your only alternative to provide those quality games in that time uh, kind of frame. And for us, what that means is we get paid more to play a game at you know 7 or 8 p.m. West Coast than if we played that same game earlier in the day. And the, the revenue is important, but we have to balance that revenue against competitive advantage and against national exposure. Obviously, if 75% of the population that lives in the central uh, and eastern time zone is asleep by halftime, that's not good for Heisman voting. It's not good for CFP or AP voting. It's not good for um, you know just the, the popularity of our schools and the brand building we need to do. So there are creative ways to trade that off. In our next media rights deal, if I had to guess, we would agree to play those games, but I think we'd want a little bit more control over which teams are playing in those games during what part of the season, because right now we have no control. ESPN and Fox, who are our great partners, have the right to basically tell us, sometimes with six days' notice or 13 days' notice, these are the teams we want to play in that late game. And... You know, it ends up obviously being our best teams, and those are the teams that we want to be able to highlight nationally, or those are the players who are eligible for a Heisman Trophy vote that we want to highlight. And, you know, I think historically, you know, David Shaw will tell you, I think he's been public about the fact that he thinks Stanford lost two Heisman Trophies because of those late games. So, you know, we, we have to work on the structure and get a little bit more flexibility, uh, but I don't think we're not going to play those games because they're valuable. Having lived in California, I think they're not only valuable for TV, I think that a large portion of the fan base likes primetime West Coast football. And 8.30 is a little awkward for this time zone, but 7.30 works great if you're in L.A. or San Francisco. So I don't... I don't think you can completely run from that. I wonder if you can get a balance where your two best teams or the Heisman candidates are playing in the second or third TV window. Uh, Two games that probably feature the middle of the league are in the late-night window unopposed, and two games are on the Pac-12 network, and they probably involve teams that aren't going to be bowl eligible or teams that are last in their division, that kind of stuff. Is is that kind of balance, are you going to be capable of getting that kind of deal? Yeah, again, everything's a trade-off, right? If, if you're willing to accept a little bit less revenue, the networks will give you a little bit more flexibility. And the great news is there are partners. They want our lead to be successful, and they understand those challenges. So we'll work on that as part of the media rights negotiation. I will say that um, you know, playing in primetime for a television audience is great. I do hear, and I think it's a real concern from some of our schools, that it's difficult for fan attendance and for building kind of a family tradition of, you know, the kids yeah. come into the games their entire childhood when, when you have those late games. And that's particularly true for some of our schools where more of their fan base, you know, it, you got to drive 90 minutes from Portland to get to Corvallis. And, you know, that, that, that's an issue. And when the game ends at 10.30 or 11, you know, that, that, that's, that's different than if the game ends, you know, late afternoon. So it's all a balance. We'll, we'll work through all of these. I mean, the, the great news about all of this is the athletic directors, the presidents and chancellors who make up my board and are my bosses uh, and the conference office are all 100% aligned in what we're trying to achieve and will be collaborative about figuring out solutions. 
There you go. Part one with George Klyovkov. Very interesting comments, I thought, in particular right there as talking about like the late start times. The Pac-12 under uh, previous administrations, I guess we'll call it, really just ceded all control to the TV networks. And most of the conferences have this, but the Pac-12, when they go back to renegotiate these deals, they do need to uh, figure out how they can uh, better place games Later in the season, better time slots, all that stuff. You're never going to get rid of 8.30 starts. Let's be clear about that. 8 o'clock, 8.30 starts are going to be part of the foreseeable future for this conference. But can you get some of those bigger games? Can you move them to a 6 o'clock Mountain Time start where you can see them more readily along the East Coast? We all know that the East Coast bias exists out here, and it needs to be dealt with. And I think that's actually something that Klyovkov, he's very, very clear about, and he understands they've got to do something to battle that. All right, we'll get to part two of that conversation. You'll hear the rest of the conversation. Some interesting thoughts on what the alliance, uh, so what the alliance is, it's a conglomeration of the Pac-12, the Big Ten and the ACC banding together, in essence, to fight against the influence that the SEC has over the sport as a whole currently in college football. We'll let you hear more about that. That's coming up next in part two of our conversation, or DJ and PK's conversation, with George Klyovkov right here on the Zone Sports Now. Network, excuse me. Let's go live. We talk jazz, utes, cougars, and Aggies, even on the weekend. Weekend. You're locked on to the Saturday show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. Continuing on now, George Klyovkov with David James and Patrick Kinahan, DJ and PK in the morning, Monday through Friday here on the Zone Sports Network from 6 to 10 a.m., a show that I am uh, proud to call my day job, I guess what we call it, on on the station. I get to hang out with those guys every morning. It's so much fun, and it's never a dull moment with those two. Uh, if anybody knows them, you know that it's fun. But had a great conversation with Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyovkov yesterday. Here is part two of that conversation. Talk more about the alliance, uh, what to expect as the Pac-12 tries to position itself for future success. Here you go, right? Uh, George Klyovkov with DJ and PK right here on the Zone Sports Network. With this alliance that has been created, as far as scheduling for football, what is your idea and what would you like to see be implemented and when as far as the non-conference scheduling, given the alliance or maybe even beyond that? Well, uh, you know, when I joined college athletics seven months ago, I joined with very little collegiate athletic experience and I was always a fan. Uh, but there are things that just never made sense to me. So, the, you know, the top of that list, it's a long list, but the top of that list about what doesn't make sense in college athletics is that we schedule co- college football games, you know, 10, 12, 15 years ahead of time, right? Uh, Utah has a home and away series with LSU in 2031 and 2032. How does that make sense? So, uh, the, the thought is, how do you make sure that you have teams to play that are quality teams that will lead to, you know, kind of great, great matchups if, if you don't actually go and schedule those games and contract those games way in advance, particularly if everyone else is doing it, what teams are going to be left to play? So Nirvana, North Star for football scheduling for the Alliance is each of the three conferences eventually, and again, consistent with existing contractual obligations and consistent with the need to include the media partners in figuring this out, eventually we each get to a place where we've agreed to play eight conference games 
and one game against each of the other conferences every year. So Pac-12 teams would have eight conference Pac-12 games, one game against the ACC, one game against the Big Ten. One of them, those games would be home, the other would be away. That would switch from year to year. Uh, games 11 and 12, the athletic uh, director and the football coach can schedule. They can make sure they have seven home games. They can make sure they have two games that are you know, not power five games, if that's what, if that's what they want. Um, and the amazing part, if our 12 teams know that they've got 12 games against the Big Ten and 12 games against the ACC, is you don't have to schedule those years in advance. You wait till the end of the previous season. You look at matchups for next season, and you schedule those matchups. And it allows you to be much more dynamic about creating great product. You can, if, if two brothers are playing on on different teams in different leagues, you can match up those two teams. If there's a great bowl matchup that you know goes into triple overtime, and you want to have a rematch of that bowl the following season, you can do that. You can really do made for television. The other thing that you could achieve is and one of the coaches say says, Hey, I'm you know, I'm I'm trying to recruit a kid in Michigan. I want to play, you know, in, in the state of Michigan next year. You, you can to some extent make those kind of things happen. So again, I just I just think there's lots of examples of this. For me the the best example, I, I was an ACC kid, I was a Virginia guy. I I remember the excitement of the ACC Big Ten basketball challenge where the announcement about who you were going to play came out, you know, a couple months before, not years before. And we, we can achieve that same thing in football, I think. Um, lots of hurdles to get there. It'll be several years, but I think eventually we'll get there. George Klavkov joining us, Pac-12 commissioner. One thing that would help more exposure with the league is if there were more networks and more TV windows. Part of the alliance and the scheduling out the championship is to uh, create uh, championship opportunities for other networks. Is CBS going to get into college football? And not just with the one window they have with the SEC, but when that deals up, will they be televising two or three games every Saturday? Because obviously that would open some opportunities for the Pac-12. Yeah, I don't want to talk about any specific networks uh, because we've talked to all of them and I don't want to disclose any anything you know, that, that's confidential. What I will tell you is in a world where less and less people are getting their video product on um, the satellite and cable every year, and where uh, you know over-the-top direct-to-consumer services are popping up every day and competing against each other uh, for, for subscribers, and where you know every piece of glass connected to the internet is now a device where you can watch you know a game, um, there are you know a lot of folks who want the content that we have to sell. And when our media rights come up for renegotiation, we're going to have multiple bidders for every tier of our rights because it's such a valuable product. There's no more valuable video product than live sports. It, it attracts the right demographic, by the way, particularly Pac-12. Uh, our, our alumni uh, are higher net earners than you know, kind of any other group. Uh, it, 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 it allows you to run commercials that are more valuable because it's live. People are less likely to fast forward through commercials. They're watching that programming live and they see the commercials. It aggregates large audiences, right? More than 90 of the top 100 watched television programs last year were sporting events. Um, so it, everything about it uh, indicates that it's the most valuable programming and it's programming that is generally sold somewhat exclusively uh, for, for the tier one product. 
So we're, we're going to have a line of people um, wanting to buy the product, and it's going to include lots of television networks, not, not just our existing partners. I believe before you took this job, Commissioner, that you did extreme deep diligence and did deep dives on everything. And you had certain things that you felt like had to have happened in order for you to say yes, because you knew full well of all the issues that you were getting into. I mean, it, and it went crazy as you've, you've spoken on Twitter, you know, within what days you had the big 12 with the two teams leaving to the SEC. And now uh, you probably couldn't have predicted that maybe, but I'm wondering for you, as far as the financial investment, because I've been looking and reading other interviews that you did. I spent 23 years in newspapers, so I always scour the internet every day as far as that goes. And I saw some interviews that you did in terms of wanting the presidents and chancellors to make that financial commitment necessary. Did you have that set up that, okay, if I take this job, these are the things that I need you to do? You understand what I'm saying? Sort of be in it to win it, so to speak. Well, what I, what I would say is um, during the interview process, uh, I was so sure I wasn't getting the job that I, I thought I could be incredibly transparent with the presidents and chancellors who were interviewing me, right? And I kind of laid it all on the line, and I said, listen, I, you know, we're the, we're the conference of champions. You know, we've won more NCAA titles in 54 of the last 60 years, and each, each of the last 16 years than any other conference, and that's great. But the economic engine that drives college athletics and allows us to invest in all of those other sports is, you know, 70 percent football, 30 percent men's basketball. And um, we have not won a uh, championship in those two sports in 17 years. And I think in order to be successful in everything we do and to continue to support thousands of student athletes and give away all these scholarships and build the facilities that support all these other uh, Olympic sports, and uh, we, we need to be good in those two sports. And I, I didn't have the answers, and I'm not sure I have all of the answers yet, but I, I certainly said that to the presidents and chancellors when I were, was interviewing, and they all agreed. And for me, I wasn't asking for specific financial commitments, or but, but just the ethos in the room was, yeah, like we have to be good in those two sports. And it will be a building process, right? It, 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 it's a long climb out of the valley that we're in, but we'll get there. And there's a, there's a certain cyclical nature of this stuff, but, but it is 17 years. And, um, you know, they, they were all aligned with that as part of the priorities that I was saying I would bring you to the conference. And when I was announced in May, again, two, two and a half months before I actually took the job, it was one of the four kind of pillar priorities for the league to be good in football and good in men's basketball. And I wouldn't have said that if I didn't think the presidents were aligned with me. George Klavka, Pac-12 commissioner, joining us. Uh, the Pac-12 basketball tournament, they've tried L.A. and they've tried Las Vegas, and I think everybody thinks Las Vegas is better. The football game just drew over 50,000 in Vegas L.A.'s got a brand-new stadium, and you're playing in the bowl game in there. Oregon State was there year one against Utah State. At some point, do you need to try L.A., or do you think the Pac-12 title game is a Vegas event and it, it needs to stay in Vegas and grow? Well, we, we have another year on our existing deal to play at Allegiant Stadium in Vegas. Yeah, I, I was kind of on the other side of that deal because my previous job at MGM Resorts in Vegas we, we, we help bring both the basketball tournaments and the football championship game 
to Vegas, and I was you know sitting on the other side of the table for those negotiations. I think Vegas is a great spot, but we're not counting out any other opportunities. SoFi Stadium is amazing. Uh, you know, the Jimmy Kimmel Los Angeles Bowl was was really fun, uh, and that's a terrific venue. Um, but you know, I, I don't want to like say we're committed to one place or another, right? The cities benefit from having us there. And there's a little bit of a bidding opportunity uh, for the conference. And we'll go through that when we're ready to extend to the next set of football championship games. And um, we'll certainly look at other places, but I, I can't say enough good things about how Allegiant Stadium and the Raiders and Las Vegas have treated us uh, both in basketball and football. What's your good instinct, Commissioner, on the actual parameters of the playoff? My gut instinct is that we're going to expand. My gut instinct is that it's going to be 12, could, could be eight. Although the SEC has very clearly said, we're, you know, we're not going, we're not going to vote in favor of eight, only 12. Um, I, you know, I, I think the interesting thing is if you focus on uh, what we need to change it in the current 12-year term, right? That runs through 2025. Um, you need unanimous consent of all 11 folks in the room. And that has proven to be really, really difficult. Um, you know, there are other issues, but the format is the big issue. And there's not a single format that has 11 yes votes. Um, if you focus on, well, the contract ends at the end of the current term and in years 13 and beyond, we currently have zero commitment to each other. Like there's, there's, there's no grant of rights. There's, there's, there's no contract beyond year 12. There's nothing. So there's a group, a subgroup of that 11 that could say, hey, from year 13 and beyond, we want to have this structure and this format. And then the others who are not part of that conversation or who originally, originally said no to a particular format would have to make a decision about whether or not to join the group. How many need to be in that group? And who needs to be in that group, I think, is up for debate. Uh, you know, I would I consider the Pac-12 to be one of the people that would have to be part of that group to, to make it, um, you know, a, a legitimate enough playoff that others would have to decide whether or not to join. But, um, you know, that, that's the way to focus. The way to focus is what does it look like beyond year 12? And then once you have that format set up for beyond year 12, since by definition it's going to be more access for everybody, I think it's pretty, pretty easy to say, hey, can we shoehorn that in for years 11 and 12 as well? And people will say yes. But we've been focused for most of the last you know, seven months on what can we get 11 people to say yes to. And I just think we're at a point where we have to stop having that conversation because it's clear we're not getting there. There you go, George Klyovkov. If you want missed any part of that conversation, you want to hear the entirety and in a full run, follow DJ and PK on whichever podcast service you happen to use. If you're an iTunes user, Spotify, there's a million of them out there. Just search out DJ and PK in the morning, and it'll be right there for you guys. A fantastic conversation and very interesting. Right at the end there, Jeff, did you hear that? We have no agreement beyond year 12 of the college football playoff. There's nothing that binds these Power 5 conferences. That's some posturing. That that's him posturing, saying, "You guys think you're just going to roll over us? We'll, we'll show you." I don't know. Interesting stuff. I, I was intrigued by that. And David uh, DJ brought that up a little bit after the, after the interview wrapped up yesterday. He's like, "Well, that's some power politics there." And he's not he's not wrong. And I understand why Klyovkov is doing this. I also really liked during that interview. Um, 
Klyovkov talking about the fact that when he was interviewing for this job, he thought he had no shot apparently to get it. So he's just shooting from the hip and just laying it out there for people like, all right, this is what I think the Pac-12 needs to do. Telling these commissioner, the, telling the chancellors and these presidents, this is what I think you guys should do. And all, all of a sudden he gets the job and he's like, was it something I said? <laughs> It's kind of funny to hear him talk. He just, he just thought he was gonna go into this interview. He's gonna lay out what he thought they needed to do because he probably thought that I'm not a guy who's ever been in athletic administration. He's been in the sports realm for years. He worked with MGM and their properties to schedule stuff. You also heard him talk about he was on kind of the opposite side of getting the Pac-12 title game to play at Allegiant Stadium, but he didn't think he was gonna get that job. And I actually think in some ways that may have been what. Pac-12 folks needed to hear is having somebody come in and just kind of fire at them, this is what you need to fix, X, Y, Z, and just lay it out for them. They're like, oh, this guy's got something for us, rather than saying something that makes them feel good, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. Growth doesn't live in a comforting space. No. I like that. Growth does not live... Jeff, with all the wisdom here on today's Saturday show. All right. So there you go. Uh, George Klyovkov, an incredible conversation. I When I heard, when we were doing it yesterday, I'm like, I'm playing this on tomorrow's show. It's, it's very clear. So uh, it was very fun to hear from him and get him on our airwaves here in Utah. I uh, hope that will be the first of many times that he'll be doing that. And we'll have more of those conversations. And we will wrap up today's show next. Uh, a lot of comments, a lot of different things out there on social media. We'll get to all of that coming up momentarily right here on the Saturday show. The weekend is here and we're breaking down the teams that you're passionate about. Oh, really? This is the Saturday show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. Thanks for joining us here on this Saturday. We are here every Saturday from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Essentially, just scratching that sports radio fix for you guys on the weekend. And I love doing this. People ask me all the time, you're busy enough, Jake. Why do you do this? Because I love it. This is one of my favorite things to do, honestly. I love sitting down, talking about all things sports and it's fun for me to be on the other side of the glass, uh, figuratively, to be in the host chair. I produce most of the time. I do host podcasts and the like, but there's nothing like live radio. And it's a thrill. It's a. It's, it's just so much fun to do. And uh, Jeff, you're still a relative neophyte uh, to this industry and doing this, but I think you've kind of got the same bug. It's just it's fun to do. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Just, and you never you never quite know what it's going to hold on a day-to-day basis because trust me <laughs> i found myself in circumstances doing radio that i had you at, like i could never have envisioned them let's put it that way like think about the covid uh deal when so march 2019 hits it was 2020 2020 these last three years by the way of just they're all a blur. They all kind of jammed together. Uh, so March 2020, Rudy Gobert test positive the night there in Oklahoma City. For the next four months, roughly, five months, six months, before the NBA bubble really started back up, we did sports radio. We did a daily radio show on three different shows on this station, or four different shows on this station at that time, without actual sports. We were breaking down The Last Dance, the documentary series from ESPN. I have found myself in circumstances in this industry that is just nuts. Absolutely nuts. Yeah, I mean, obviously not as maybe public 
yeah. like station stuff. But I mean, I was working at BOE TV when COVID sure. hit, yeah. and so we still BOE Sports Nation five days a week. That was still that was still airing. Nuts. Yeah, it's you. You find a way to keep the sports rolling. You find a way to keep the sports. Rolling. Life finds a way, Jeff. Life finds a way. He's the Jurassic Park quote, but it's true. And na, 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 I, oh, there we go. I I, I love what I do. Uh, frankly, I, I love it. So, uh, final few things here before we go. Uh, th- so the Utah Jazz, obviously, they're getting ready for a game tomorrow night against the Denver Nuggets. I meant to get to this quote, and Jeff, if you have it, give me a thumbs up. Let's do it as we go out the door here. So Donovan Mitchell, we we played Rudy Gobert earlier on today saying that he wants to see the team improve on defense, but he feels like they're on their way. They're, they're, they're going to figure things out. Well, Donovan Mitchell, and the issue is at hand, is that the Denver Nuggets game that they won without Rudy in the lineup, well, they looked pretty good on defense. The other four games, not so good. Here's Donovan Mitchell after, was this after the Indiana game? Yeah, this is so after, Pacers this is after the Pacers game. So here you go. Here's Donovan Mitchell talking about the Utah Jazz and their defensive effort. Obviously, when you don't have Rudy out, we did it against Jokic and Denver. You know, we shifted, you know, we were there in the paint, you know, at the end of the, I mean, Jokic had 20 and 20, but we still were shifted in, you know, making guys. And they shoot better than Denver does. Uh, they got more shooters. But, you know, the thing is we, we were able to execute. We were able to think. We were able to go out there and say, okay, you know, we're missing both our centers, you know, both our, both our big dogs. We were able to lock in, scramble, execute. And, you know, we didn't really do that to the highest level, whether it was on the ball, our scrambles, getting out to contest, closing out, boxing out. Um, we just didn't do it. Every possession, you know, there were times where we, we, we needed it. We kicked in and we, we got the lead back. But, you know, for us to be where we want to be, we have to do it every possession. Um, and I can't say we did that tonight and not think that's going to eat at us because this is a game, like I said, this is a game we felt like we could win. And you got to give hats off to where um, you got to give them credit where credit's due. They got a lot of dogs over there, guys who are competing, fighting. Uh, Sabonis had a hell of a night. So we just got to go out there and continue to execute and think, you know, the game as far as the defense goes. Offensively, we did a lot of things right. You know, I, I think we I mean, we missed some 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 easy ones, we missed some shots that we normally make. But you know, defensively, especially when you know you got Rudy out, and then also Joe on the perimeter, like we got to be able to uh, lock him. There you go, Donovan Mitchell, and I think he's dead on with that with that assessment there. And Jordan Clarkson, uh, uh, just speaking immediately about it, I think it just literally just started. This is a quote, uh, Eric Walden from the Salt Lake Tribune with this quote. Uh, so Jordan Clarkson on why he liked the tweet about Rudy Gobert commenting on the defense. Here's the quote. It's just defense. It's all focus. It is what it is. That's what we got to that's what we're going to hold our hat on. That's what we've been talking about all year. Just defense. We know what we've got we know what we gotta do. Uh, you, probably the wrong syntax there or grammar or whatever, but you get the point. The Jazz know what they need to fix. Focus, effort, intensity, desire. That's all gotta go into this. Well like he said with the all year thing, defense is I mean, they didn't start talking about defense when Gobert went out and no. they started having bad games. Defense has been what the entire team has talked about. Whether Quinn Snyder is talking about since he showed up in Utah eight years ago or whatever it's been. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like that's that's been the priority all season. And all every player interview mm-hmm. in some point they talk about defense and there's probably a mandate from Quinn. If you do not talk about defense, then you will do runs. It comes down from the top. There's no doubt about that. So uh, I think some good stuff there. And hopefully we see a better defensive outing from them against the Nuggets tomorrow night. Six o'clock tip in that game. Five o'clock pregame here on the Zone Sports Network, your exclusive radio home of the Utah Jazz. All right, that's going to do it for us on today's show, but stay tuned. Uh, Two o'clock, 2.30 kickoff between... Pregame begins at two o'clock for the Raiders. Two o'clock Raiders. Uh, You'll be able to hear that here on the Zone. Of course, we 
we've been broadcasting Raider game all year long. Brent Musburger, Lincoln Kennedy will be on the call of that as they take on the Cincinnati Bengals in the wild card game to kick off the NFL playoffs. And then later on tonight, a 6.30 pregame for Utah State basketball as they take on Wyoming. Scott Gerrard will have that for you guys here on The Zone as well. So a busy day ahead here on The Zone. Stay with us. Thank you again for joining us here on the Saturday show. Uh, brought to you by our friends over there at Mountainland Supply. One last plug for them. They are where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. For Jeff, I'm Jake. Have a great rest of your Saturday. This has been the Saturday show right here on 97.5 FM, 1280 AM, and the Zone Sports Network. See ya.